Hey, good, good morning. It's good to see you and some new faces that I have not seen. So, um, welcome. My name is Jason Garcia. And last week, I introduced my family. Of course, they were, you know, on the screen. One day, they'll actually visit with us. Um, my wife has a board meeting, had a board meeting yesterday. And um, she could, she got out late, so she couldn't catch the flight with me. But you'll see her. And when you do, you're going to say, how in the world did he end up with somebody like that? You know what I mean? Some, or, or, or maybe the opposite. You know, how did she, why did she marry him? Well, anyway. Uh, well, what I did last week is I introduced... A very intentional sermon about the bigness of God. And if you remember in Psalm 18, we talked about how uh, David was hiding from Saul, scared to death for his life, um, not knowing if he was going to live from one day to another. So he hid in these enclosed areas um, in the clefts of the rock. And there's a great hymn that talks about the clefts of the rock. But um, the Bible says that, that God saw literally the condition that he was in. That David cried out to God. God not only heard him, but he also grew angry. He responded with anger. Because God doesn't like when his children are being picked on. But he did more than just hear and get angry. He acted. And in one of the great epic scenes of all of the Bible, at the, um, God reaches down and, and it gives you this illustration. And this is what... David was feeling at the time and he rescued not so much David but it's a picture of God rescuing anybody who's in need and he puts him into a spacious place so the fact is that God does, doesn't just hear your cry I mean what kind of God would he be if that's all he did is hear oh that's good man did you hear that you know he's going through a difficult time but he, he feels for you and not only does he feel for you but this is the great part he acts on it and so, like many of you, I have a story where God came. Randy was telling me a little earlier ago about how God rescued him. This literally reached down. And, and God's going to go where you are, regardless of how low you get, if you have a repentant heart. But the beautiful thing about that, and this is that psalm, and so you can listen to it. It's on there. I don't mean to re-preach it. But, and then what does he do after he rests? He grabs a hold of it and puts him in a spacious place. Remember when we said that? Now, what's that spacious place? That spacious place is an open area where he didn't have to hide anymore, where he could be free. Because, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a madman chase you. I, I haven't. My mother-in-law has been mad at me a couple times when I felt like hiding. But... <laughs> But there's nothing like being in a safe zone, a place where you can just be yourself and, and, and experience freedom. And I said last week, that's how I feel church should be. It should be an open place. It should be a place where we feel safe, where we, get, where we have freedom, freedom of God's spirit and to enjoy his presence in our life. And so what, when, I, when I said that, you know, what I realized is not everybody has the same view of church. And, and when you're in a new crowd like this and, and you have a, a, a new teacher who's coming in and, you're, and we, we may not have the same terminology. So um, I, I am a people person. And so I like to close the gap. And so sometimes when I do my teaching, particularly the people that I'm just getting to know, I like to clarify terms a little bit. And this morning we're going to be talking about God's mission for the church. But before we get into that, um, I thought it would be important for us um, to share, you know, what do we mean when we say the church? 
I just said it's an open place, you know, freedom. And then I'm going to be talking about the church's mission. But what is the church? So I'm going to give you a little bit of, of, of a leadership lesson, you know, this morning. And, uh, and it's going to be a leadership lesson in ecclesiology. Who knows what ecclesiology is? Ecclesiology is the study of the church. You have a, a, an understanding of why God uses the church, why the church exists. And so what do we mean when we say church? Well, I can tell you what I mean when I say church. And I can tell you also what I, what I don't mean. And so let me just kind of go through this as we start this morning. Uh, and that is this. When I say the church, the church is not just an organization, but it's an organism. And that's really important for you to hear. Now, hear me. The church should have healthy systems. And it should have an operational strategy. And it should be not good stewards, but great stewards. It should have great financial systems. And so there is a part of the church that needs to have order and, and systems that connect people. Now, I call them people systems because of this next term. It's, it's not, we're not trying to be IBM um, because we're also an organism. And, and so we're not a business, even though there's a business component to it. We're not only going to be studying metrics, but when it comes right down to it, it's about what? And we'll talk about this twice here when it comes to the church. It's about people. It's an organism. And so what it really is, is this breathing extension of God's plan to save the lost and to encourage and shape believers. And so when we come together, that's what we should be doing. It, you know, we should be going out, which we'll talk about. But, but also when we gather together, we, we should be encouraging each other. And, and, and leadership should be shaping believers to be all that they can be. And you'll see I'll hit on that in a second as well. So the church is not just an organization. It's an organism. Another thing is that church is not a religion but a relationship. Listen to me about this, because I've been in a lot of churches where it's their club, you know? And they think that they're going through uh, the, the exercises of religion, but they never do anything, you know, uh, to impact the community and beyond. And, and so it becomes more like a Kiwanis club. And there's nothing wrong with having great fellowship. Uh, um, but sometimes we think just gathering together is a religious act. And that that's all that God requires. Or that's the end of Christianity. And I'm here to tell you that it's not about religion. It is about relationship. See, going to church is not the chief end of our purpose where we blindly follow a set of rules and then leave. Now that's, that's important. God does have his commandments. But it's about encountering and forming a lifelong relationship with the living God. That's huge. It's about connecting to each other, relationship. And believe it or not, it's about connecting to your community. I always tell leaders all the time that, you know, that vision statement that we have on, on our um, internet or on our webpage, you know, um, that's the most that most people know about our vision. So I always say, hey, if your board knows, or your leadership knows that vision, that's a good step. If your congregation knows your, um, your 
uh, uh, vision. That's incredible that everybody knows that. Um, if your neighborhood knows what your vision is, then guess what? That's kind of where the game begins, you know, when it comes to impact. And so sometimes we think, oh, we know it, but if nobody else knows, you're there. So what do we do? We, we form relationships with each other, most importantly to God, and with others. Why? Because there's a big hole in a lot of people's heart. They need love. They don't, listen, they don't need religion. <laughs> they need the power of the Holy Spirit in person. And that's an important thing. So another thing that it's important for us to understand is the church is not a building. It's people. The minute we start thinking a building is the church is the minute we start dying. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great to have a building. And also, don't get me wrong, I'm extremely excited about with the potential with, uh, with Premia. Premia, right? I always say Premia. Uh, um, but Premia. I'm extremely excited about that. But I got to tell you, you can build the biggest building in the whole world. And it, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But when you can shape and empower and send people to love each other and love the world, you know what? You change the world that way. Now, again, I'm not belittling buildings because, you know, look, at, I love this building. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. But I learned this lesson just recently when we planted a church in my hometown in San Clemente, California. We planted a church. Seven weeks later, COVID hit. And so there's nothing like a stuff. Those of you, to give the equivalent, imagine doing a startup that you spent almost years in the making. And then seven weeks later, as soon as you, you, you open up, COVID hits. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, that just, that's pretty much the end of your, your initial strategy. Well, I mean, we didn't panic because we knew God was in charge. So we went online like everybody else did. But we got a little restless. We said, you know, there's got to be some way that we can be the church. And, and you can be the church online, as you all know. God transcends the physical. But what we did, we said, we've got to find a place. And so we found a parking spot in a brand new outlet in San Clemente. And people thought we were crazy. So we started meeting that parking spot when we were socially distanced and everything. And then God started doing a miracle. One of the biggest lessons. Can, can you get old like I am and still learn? <laughs> you better. Every leader is a learner. But this was one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned. So we started meeting in this parking spot. And I'm not going to get into all the details because you'll hear me reference that. Only, only to the glory of God. Last Easter we had 1,800 people. We planted it two and a half years ago. The average age is 27 years of age. Everybody's always telling you, oh, these young people don't go to church anymore. Oh, oh yeah? Oh, you need a building. Oh, yeah? And all of these things that we think about, God's bigger than any physical edifice. However, I will tell you this. Um, once we learn this lesson, and even when we get, you know, the next steps with the premia, you know, I'm already thinking about who we're going to reach for Jesus rather than the cool 150 parking spots that we get. Because that's where it starts. God died for people, not for a building. Now, again, I'm not putting down buildings. We need places to go. We should be thankful that we have a building at all. 
there are churches that meet in parking spots, <laughs> you know, because they have no ability to, to even lease anything. So, so God's bigger than a building. Um, and, and, and it's about people. And that'll give you a big, big, big window into my heart. Um, because that's really what it's all about. My story is, is that I have two brothers that are, one's a CEO for a 500, Fortune 500 company, and one's a COO for a Fortune 100 company. And I, I, at any time, I could leave and join them because we're a very close family. And I may only have one gift, but it's knowing how to build infrastructure. <laughs> and they're always calling me in. And I've had some great times, you know, at, in their places talking to their staff. But the reason why none of that appeals to me is because I'm not only called to ministry, but called to see people revolutionized by the power of God's Spirit. It's about people, people, people. So it's not just the building, it's a what? Say it aloud, people. So yeah, I do better than that. It's about people. Also, the church is not an event. It's a calling. Sometimes they say, hey, you know what? We've got to have everything. It's got, it's, everything's got to be attractional. It's a big show. Well, you know what? People sense authenticity when they walk in. It doesn't have to be a big show. Um, and it isn't just an event. It's a calling. And I know some of you are here, and man, God's called you to this church. Some of you are saying, I don't know, man, we'll see what this new guy is all about, you know? And, and, and I would tell you that it's an important thing to process through, because going to a church is, is a calling. God calls you to a church, because if you're doing his mission, which we'll talk about in a second, then he's going to use you in ways that you've never ever thought. And so you, it's a calling. And, of course, I'm praying that all of you are called to Peninsula Hope Church. Right? Amen. You know? Uh, um, but, but the reality is that it's not, an, it's not just an event. It's a place to exercise our spiritual gifts, to serve people, to shape disciples, to, to reach the lost. And you hear me talk a lot about that. But did you know the church has a mission? So I've been asked a few times, and I think it's a great question, hey, what's your vision? And, you know, and so I said, well, I not only are we going to be talking about vi vision, I'm going to be talking about our mission, and then eventually we'll talk about our values. What do we think is important? Uh, but I wanted to start off with mission today, because we have a mission. And this is going to be really important you know, for you, because this is how I think. And by the way, when it comes to church, I don't think outside the parameters of Scripture. So this is, this is a blueprint, you know, and you know it all already. You know the blueprint. Um, and the church has a mission. Sometimes we're on mission. Sometimes there's mission drift. But it's plain that God gives us a mission. And being on mission is one of the most important things for us to do if we are going to be a church that reaches the lost, young and established families, seniors, anybody. And you know it well. It's called the Great Commission, right? Now, this is something that we should all know by memory. Uh, and if I was a mean pastor, I would say, why don't you come up and pick somebody randomly, you know, to be able to just quote this verbatim. But I'm a nice guy, and I would never put you on a spot like that, at least until I get to know you. Um, <laughs> So what is the Great Commission? Well, you know it well. 
It's these, these unbelievable words that have shaped the mission of the church from the very beginning. And um, I'll just read it aloud. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I love that verse. Because God doesn't just give you a mission. But he, listen to this. He says, hey, I'm with you. You know, I'm not going to say, go get him, tiger, and never see you or talk to you again. But he sends his paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to be able to aid us to do his mission. So not only does he give us a blueprint, but he, he fills the gas tank to be able to do it. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Then I'm going to introduce you to four missional action steps that are predicated uh, um, on this particular scripture. And there, there are four terms that you're going to get to know, and you're probably going to get sick of it, you know, after a while. But just pretend that you love it when I, when I bring them up. Um, the, those four terms, four, those four missional steps are these. We're called to bring them in. And you can, you can stop right there. You don't have to go any further. I'm not going to go through all of them. We're called to bring them in, build them up, train them for, send them out. Now, who are them? <laughs> There's an exercise in, in English grammar. Um, where they're people. They're people that are lost and people that are disenfranchised. And so look at this first uh, missional action step. God calls us to bring them in. Listen to the very first thing that he says, you know, about this mission that we're on. He says what? What does he say? Therefore, go. Doesn't say stay. Doesn't say hang out with a bunch of friends, you know, at the expense of a community that's going to hell without the gospel. And that I know as soon as I use that word go, people immediately go, oh, I'm too tired to hear this. <laughs> this is another one of those sermons where it requires action. Um, but I tell you what, I've never been a part of the church that didn't do the Great Commission. In fact, I was telling Randy this. I said, you know, um, you know I, I have gifts and I have lots of weaknesses, but the one thing that I've seen God do is grow churches. And I said, um, and so that might be the only thing I really, you know, know how to do well. And then I love what he says. Hey, well, doesn't the Holy Spirit have something to do with it? It has everything to do with it. And, and, so, and so, and when I said that, what I meant is if you do the Craig Commission with passion, the church grows. And it doesn't just grow numerically. It grows spiritually, internally. And I'm telling you, that isn't just some words from some guy who lost his hair a long time ago. That is the truth, and I've never seen the exception. And that's the reason I want to start this way. So you bring them and go. Did you know that 80% of evangelism in the church in America today, 80% are from new believers? And you know why one of the reasons why that is? It's because, you know, we, we old believers, man, we have our set of friends, and we kind of built our own little subculture where we may know somebody out there. But it never intersects, you know, with our life. And so when people like me get up there and say, go, you know, and reach out, it's, some of it is just the fact that we don't know a lot of people who are unbelievers. 
And it's because we cocoon around ourselves. And, and, and that isn't this church, it's most churches. And that's why there's not a lot of growing churches. But um, a few years ago, my firm, I run a firm called Leadership, Ar uh, Leadership Architects Group. And we asked 300 believers, and I'm, I'll tell you who the believers were in just a second. And we asked them a few questions. And you should have seen the faces of these folks. We asked them, they were simple questions. They weren't guilt-producing questions. They were simple questions. We asked them, when was the last time that you led somebody to the Lord? Man, you could hear a pin drop. And then we asked, have you ever led somebody to the Lord? You could hear two pins drop. And then we said, when was the last time you invited somebody to church? And it got a little bit better, but not a lot. Now, I'm not obviously going to ask you that question. That's why I'm using it as an example. Because I don't know you well enough to ask you that question. But let me tell you who we were asking that question to. This will blow your mind. Pastors. We asked pastors. And what we found out is only 20% of the, of the pastors in that room actually led somebody to the Lord in the last 10 years. 20%! Those are pastors. And then we asked them, have you invited anybody? Because you're telling everybody else to invite. Well, when was the last time you invited somebody? It made a difference in your neighborhood. It was as if we just literally threw a water balloon, hit them right in the face, filled with paint. And, or whipped cream. And it was, that was, and barely any of them. Well, I'm too busy doing the work of the Lord. Well, you, you better do the work of the Lord where you're living, brother you know, or sister. Because we lead by example. I mean, we are the example by God. So if that's the case with them, then there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that most of us have issues like that. And yet the very first thing he says in this mission is to what? Go! Bring them in. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. But listen, I'm not here to produce guilt. I'm here just to help us get do the Great Commission. You know, not even by myself, but with people, which I'll, I'll share here. Um, in, in the next, not the next one, but the one step after this. And so, you know, we're called to bring them in. That's what the church is called to do. We're also called to have a plan to know what to do with them when we bring them in. And what's the, what's the Great Commission plan? Build them up. You bring them in, you build them up. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, the Bible says that you, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and your job is to help make disciples. You have a plan for them. Now, baptism in the first century is radically different than baptism now. Because really what baptism was, was when you not only publicly acknowledged your Savior, but it was also when everybody saw the fruit of that change in your life. And that didn't happen overnight. So it wasn't, hey, listen, we're going to have baptism every other Sunday. No, it was, you know, there was accountability there. There was intentional walking with people towards God. And so when people came into the church, they had a plan to know what to do with them. If they were a believer from another church, then, then they helped discover their gifts. 
get him into fellowship. But really the goal is when people step into a church, I mean, we should automatically be thinking, hey, how are we making disciples? What's our role in that, I should say? In Acts chapter um, um, 2, excuse me, 5, um, I love this verse. It says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I love that. Because notice there's two different places there. This is an important factor. The study of ecclesiology. In the New Testament, the church had two different, very important components. The first one, they met in the temple. And that's where there's a proclamation of God's word. People gather together in mass. But do you want to know where the real secret sauce was? Is when they met house to house. And all you got to do is read Acts chapter 2 and see what they did. They broke bread together. They shared their, their, their wealth with each other. You know, uh, and they, in, they enfolded people who were not believers and they loved on them and, 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 until life change happened. And it was just absolutely incredible. So those, and those are two things that we're going to be talking about. How, how are we going to utilize this large gathering? And how are we going to create what we call um, cell ministry or small groups? Now, some of you, are, you already have small groups. That's from what I heard. But that's going to be an important strategy. But I want to show you something here. Now, you may or may not be able to see all of this. And so I'm going to run through it because it's complex. Um, you see that top circle there? That is, what we call that is celebration. This is a celebration service. This is where people come, they hear God's word. We'll share some vision. We'll share some teaching. But regardless of how good your teacher is, not everybody's going to connect with them. Because sometimes it gets too deep. And there are those that don't know the word very well. I mean, they get lost. And then other times, you know, it's, it's too shallow. And those that are further along in the Lord, they'll say, you know, I, you ain't got to get a little deeper than that, Pastor. But that large group, this thing called celebration, you know, we, we, there's things we do, and it's way too small for you to see. Because I can't even see it. Um, and, and we'll get into this a little later on. But what you need to know about that is, is that this is where people gather together. And we celebrate presence of God, each other, through worship the gathering and we hear God's word and we are refreshed to go out and do God's mission right that's that's what primarily we do I can get into some more later on when we get into this but and then I want you to go to the very bottom cell ministries so the big circle is temple courts the small circle is house to house have you ever been in a large group like this and wanted to ask a question. Hey, but what do you mean about that? And you don't do it. Why? Because it's a monologue. And we'll have the ushers carry you out if you do it. Now, I'm going to talk to you. But it's generally a monologue. But wouldn't you like to ask the questions? Hey, what do you mean by that? How does that apply? Wouldn't you, in a, in a gathering like this, how many of you feel just absolutely confident? You raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to confess a sin. And I mean, uh, and, and yet there are strangers in a room, and, and, or even if you know them, you don't want them to know what you're really going through. And so we have this 
the service and where you're receiving but it's very difficult to process so if you come in with a need you leave with a need and there's ways that we can take care of that but in a cell group those things are designed listen very careful to ask questions they're designed not only to ask questions they're designed to confess James says confess to one another you know that, that what that you may be healed it's when you have personally directed worship. Worship in a small group is the coolest thing on the planet, man. It's time when you have personally directed prayer where you can just say, hey, listen, man, I have a physical need and your friends are with you. Now, the real bottom line is that it's hard to get very deep when it comes to that kind of koinonia or community in a group like this. And yet, you see that little line at the very top? That's almost everybody in America's experience. That's all they do. And you wonder why the church is just shrinking. We're not even experiencing what God wants us to, to be in a place where we can just be ourselves. Knowing there's grace there. Knowing that we can confess. Knowing that we can ask questions. What in the world is that upside down snowman that he's throwing up there? You know, did you catch that? And so the Bible actually outlines this stuff for you. And it's all found, you know, in Acts 5.42, where they met in temple courts, and then what? They um, met house to house. That middle group is, is a group, you know, that was made by the Southern Baptist called Sunday School, you know, almost 200 years ago. And whereas it's not found in the Bible, it serves, you know, a great purpose. But do you see these arrows up here? And I don't mean to spend a lot of time on this because we'll go through this. The left one is called, it's a community quotient. And the right one is called spiritual formation where your spirit is being formed and, and you're growing. Well, the more, the, the bigger the crowd is, the less the community quotient is. And the less spiritual formation comes, comes to play, the less you grow. And you say, what do you mean by that? Because you can't answer those questions that only it happens in the cell group. And, and, and it's important. So a lot of people leave this place, not just this place, but most churches, and that's all they experience. And they're truncated spiritually because they're not getting the house-to-house -house experience. And that is one of the crucial things that we'll talk about. Now, what we're not trying to do is get you busy. Oh, now I got to go to a small group. <laughs> I'm going to want you to go to a small group so you can experience what the New Testament church is all about. And so this is just part of it. And we got to do the best that we can to make this work. But where the re real discipleship happens is in that small group. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Are we, are we getting ready to launch them tomorrow? No. I'm still getting to know you and you're still getting to know me. But they're going to be an important part. Do you get this? So when we say bring them in, you know, when people come to the door, we have a plan for them when they step in here. And it's God's plan. And then when they get into a small group, man, there's an intentional way that we do it to, to draw people together so they can grow towards God. Does that make sense? Let me just see your hand. Are you with me? You know that? Um, and so that's an important, so let's be thinking about the, the upside down snowman, okay? But listen. Not only do, are we called to you know, bring them in, build them up, but listen to this. We are actually called, this is the mission of the church, to train them for. Now listen, 
what does the Great Commission say? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is a training, this is a strategic training ground to shape us to be able to use our gifts to transform our world and beyond. And so, um, and I'm giving you a little bit of a blueprint of things that I think are extremely important. Not because I think they're important, but it's the Great Commission. Now, some of you who are in industry, which is most of you, you know, you've gone to leadership development seminars or, you know, where, because the, the key thing in any organization, and I think it starts in the church first, is to develop leaders, leadership development. And, I, and I'm, I'm almost done, but this is important for you to hear. Um, there are leadership principles that every church should operate in. Every single one of them, every single church that's out there. Now, I told you this is a study in ecclesiology, so I don't mean to get uh, too, you know, deep on some of this stuff. So I'm just trying to get it at a level that we can all understand. Well, when the Bible says, teaching them to obey everything I command you, really, you know, you could easily interchange that word that you're developing leaders. Now, let me tell you what I think about some really important steps, you know, to leadership development that makes a huge difference in a church when it comes to reaching their community and loving on each other and experience the fellowship that God wants us to experience together. And there, there are a few things. And first of all, I want you to know, whenever I say leader, leader, I believe that every leader in a church is an equipper. Now, does everybody feel like they can equip? No, that's why we train them. But if you're going to be in a church, you have to be ready to equip. But more specifically, and hopefully, if we ever hire more than one pastor, we will never ever hire a pastor unless they have experience equipping leaders. Um, because that's what their main call is. So look, look, where do you get this from? Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to what he says. He says, some gave, excuse me, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For what? For equipping, for the equipping of the saints to do the what? Work, what? Of service. So where does it say here that the pastor does all the work? And I tell pastors this all the time. God surrounds you with great lay people who are a hundred times smarter than you in multiple areas. And so get them on, you know, uh, uh, you know get, get, train them. Help develop them. Build relations with, with them. Uh, and then start strategizing and dreaming together. But look, you are called there to equip. And so a big part of what I'm going to do here is I'm, I just want to see who's in. And then, uh, you know, but, and then start equipping. When people start coming, we start in inviting people in here. We're going to have the, the very first time, um, and, and this will probably be more in September, that we're going to say, hey, man, it's great to see you, man. I would love to spend, you know, an hour with you after service, you know, and give them our vision. And this will be in it. So I want them to know. 
and then we'll start building leadership development tracks so people can be developed in how do you do worship ministries how do you do children's ministries you know what does it mean to be on a board and and those are extremely important and it's if Jesus wanted to do it all by himself guess what he may have done a better job because <laughs> he didn't have to deal with humans but that wasn't his model he equipped his disciples to change the world. In fact, you will love this um, because not only is every leader an equipper, every member is a minister. Do you know that? No, no, you, you didn't get, you know, ordained, maybe not, at some cemetery somewhere, I mean seminary. But I would tell you this, the Bible tells us that all of us are ministers if we're believers. And, and First Peter, five says you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priest you're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ we're all ministers we're all part of this mission it isn't just some pastor or a few board members who are burnt out because they do 80% of the work And so, you gotta know that. So that's the premise. That's not Jason. That's the word. And I have, I have a few added thoughts. I, I don't believe anybody should ever minister alone. Nobody should minister alone. And, and, and in fact, you know, there's nothing worse than being in, like in a nursery. You know, and three years later, the pastor asked, hey, hey, what's your name? Well, I've been serving for three years back there, but I've never been able to escape. You know, <laughs> And nobody should minister by themselves. In fact, you know, th there are a few examples of people ministering by themselves or alone in the New Testament. The most, mo the most notable example is a guy named, you may have heard of him, Judas, <laughs> who acted as on, on his own. But Jesus sent them out two by two. And so no one ministers alone. That means that we're team structured in what, how we want to do things. We want to build teams. And, and the Bible says, you know, for as, uh, for as we have many in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. I'm going to stop there because you probably know the verse. But when you operate with different giftedness, and there's something powerful about somebody being able to know financial systems, like nobody knows financial, or somebody that knows how, well, actually wants to work with middle school kids, you know, uh, and, and, and you, you see this collected together, uh, and then really doing God's mission together, you start seeing synergy that'll blow our mind. So we're going to be a church that when we lead, it's going to be team structured, it's going to be gift-based. If I ask you what your spiritual gift is, and I'm not going to do it publicly, I already know, because I've been around long enough, to know that not everybody knows the answer to that question. But it's one of the key things that we should know about how God wants to use us in a church, or at our work, or in our neighborhood, is what is our spiritual gift? And so a big part of what we want to do is to start identifying our gift and put you in a place of your passion where you can exercise that gift so it doesn't seem like you're trying to jog up, you know, uh, uh, a thousand steps, but it's who you are. You're made for that. But nobody took the time to develop that, your understanding of that, and then put you in a place that, that you have passion about that, that you're going to get oxygen from and, and instead of dreading that. 
team structured, gift-based, and listen to this, love-driven. If people cannot sense the love of the people of God when they walk into this place, into our small groups, guess what? Well, you already know. The ganging, what is it, the ganging symbol? Is that what it is, you know? Um, it, it, it means absolutely nothing. We lead with love. And when we serve, we lead with love and humility. And, and when people come to our church, they should sense that instantaneously. And that's that, those, that, that you say, you know, are we really going to actually, you know, grow? And, and, I, and I tell you what, because I've kept my eyes on this church for a long, long time. I know there's disappointment about, you know, starts and then pastor goes, another start. But in the end, believe it or not, it transcends the pastor. It's about all of us, knowing what our place is. And even when those transitions happen, we don't skip a beat. Because you know your spiritual gift and you're working in teams and you encourage one another. Now, pastoral leadership is important, primarily to equip the saints and develop vision, which we'll talk about at another time. But so when we say, bring them in, build them up, train them for, and then what does it say at the very end? And with this, we'll close. Um, it's right back to the beginning. You send them out, which is back to the beginning. You go. But that's after you go out and reach them. You build them up and each other up. We're training you so you're not just doing that without any kind of training. To do what? To send them out and to repeat that cycle. And when that cycle hits, you'll know it because people will start coming like crazy. So we have a little work to do. But, hey, I've seen churches in far worse condition miraculously transform a community. And so I've always been a big thinker, and I've always been around people who've been tired <laughs> or disappointed, and most of the time rightly so, because they've seen the faults of a church or of leadership. But what I'm going to ask you to do is, to, is just to believe God for your next steps. Uh, if this is going to involve you, now, I'm not going to try to chase you around. You say, oh, no, he's going to chase me around and get me to do something. I'm already too tired, too old, too sick. I promise you, um, Jesus didn't go. And by the way, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. Um, <laughs> he just invited people into the process. And so we'll start building the structure to how to do all of this stuff in the next few months. My primary purpose here, I don't know how long I'll be here, long-term or short, but it's to prepare us for next steps if I'm here until Jesus comes back or if I'm here until we find some young buck who will outlive me by 20 years. You know, who knows? But in the meantime, we're going to do God's mission. And we're going to bring them in, build them up, train them for, send them out. So let's just say those words together. What do we do? We bring them in build them up, train them for, and send them out. And so on this send them out, the first thing that I'm going to ask you to do is just to invite somebody that you know 
Who, who's in need to be a part of a body like this? And if you don't know of anyone, just to start praying that God gives you the name. In the ensuing weeks and months, what we'll all do is I'm actually going to hand out invitations for you to give to people. So you have a practical way to do it. I'm, we're going to build links, like on Facebook, so you can say, hey, the pastor's doing a brand new service. Kotz and I, and there'll be one more teacher in this as well, are teaming up as your teaching team. And if you noticed, I'm teaching about the church, and Kotz is teaching about the church in action. And so you're going to get that. But we also have a few other teachers that we want to just... And, and by the way, churches all over the country um, have teaching teams. And that's how you have to see this, is a teaching team. And, and I promise you this, every teacher we bring here is going to be a better teacher than I am. You know, um, but you're going to say, I hope so. I hope so, Pastor. But um, anyways, with all that said, um, why don't we just stand here? And I just want us to just, um, I want us just to have a, sh a prayer, kind of a commissioning prayer that God would just give us um, the insight, the strength, the power um, to to mobilize us to the power of God's Spirit, to do His mission, to be His church. So let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every single person in this room. Lord, thank you for their commitment over the years. This is not a works doctrine. This is, we get to be a part of a huge plan, an eternal plan. And I just pray, Lord, that um, you will allow us, Lord God, to be your church in these end days. That we can see the power of your Holy Spirit working, Lord, in people's lives. Inside this church, grow us together, Lord. May there be a bond, Lord, that, that people will not even be able to understand, but it'll be strong. So, so we start here. But Lord, give us the heart and your vision and your passion to enlarge this body, not to grow a church, but to reach the lost. And I pray, Lord God, that as we take steps towards this, that we would be able to look back and say, God is great. We thank you for your presence here, Lord God. And we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen.